0: Getting started with homeschooling can be overwhelming. So today we're talking with a homeschooling mom who loves to encourage and equip new homeschoolers. Today we're talking with Amanda Woodiel about her top tips for new homeschooling parents.
1: Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Miladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections.
0: Hi, I'm Lisa Miladnik, and we're talking today about top tips for new homeschooling parents. And our guest is Amanda Woodiel. Amanda's a Catholic convert, a mother to five children aged 11 to three, a slipshod housekeeper, an enamored wife, and a good enough homeschooler who happens to believe that the circumstances of her life, both good and bad, are pregnant with grace. Read more thoughts on faith and parenthood at her blog, inaplaceofgrace.com. Welcome to the program, Amanda.
2: Hi, Lisa. I'm so glad to be here.
0: Oh, thank you. It's so much fun talking with you, Amanda. And I can just imagine that you are such a light of encouragement and good cheer to new homeschoolers. You have a heart for them, don't you?
2: I do. Homeschooling has blessed our family tremendously and in ways I didn't even expect at the beginning. So when I hear someone is about to homeschool, I, I have to really restrain myself that I don't just <laughs> throw a bunch of enthusiasm their way, right, all at once.
0: Because <laughs> we can really inundate them, right? We can be like this this very loving
2: avalanche on top. Like, well, you could do this and you could do that, <laughs> Right. And I remember how scared I was, how scary that step felt to call the school and say, you know, my kid, kids, my oldest went to school through first grade. And that was such a big decision. And then looking back, of course, you know, it makes total sense. Of course. This has been the one of the greatest blessings for our family that Eyes have experienced. Mm,
0: okay. So you've got some great tips. You wrote an article uh, a year or two ago at AmazingCatechist.com, which is my website, and I've been so blessed by the writing that you've done there. It's always so gracious and fun. It's, there's a lightheartedness, but it's such intelligent work. I'll step us into some of your top tips
2: for people just beginning
0: to homeschool.
2: I'd love to. Um, I would like, I would tell you first, before I even launched there, kind of what prompted me to homeschool because I love hearing homeschool stories and I bet people who are considering it do too. Great. When I was discerning whether or not to homeschool, I was of course reading as people do and I came across the phrase holy leisure. And holy leisure just struck me as what I had been yearning for for my family. Like I said, I, I think at the time I had three or four, four kids maybe. And it, life was just getting busy, you know, getting up, getting out the door, getting to school. I think I had one preschool. So, you know, you drop them, you come back, you go the other one, there's nap time. And I thought, this is crazy. They're not even, you know, in sports yet or, you know, whatever. And so when I heard the phrase, holy leisure, that was what I wanted, time with my children while they were young. That was what my heart wanted. And um, that has been one of the things that has blessed us for sure. Because when I'm with them all day, we're able to do extra things in the afternoon and the evening, right? It's not that constant treadmill. They can be involved, actually, in a lot of things because I'm with them all day. So I would just encourage someone who's thinking life is so fast and missing my kids' childhood. I'm not even with them. I don't even see them. A lot happens in just living day-to-day with people. That's what I have found, living day-to-day with them. Conversations come up. That I don't think would have come up otherwise. Um, It's one of the blessings that I've experienced.
0: Mm, I just want to interject that when I dropped my daughter off for kindergarten the first day, I was heartbroken. I thought, why do they get to spend most of the day with her? And not me. It was just a. There was just on a gut level. I had wanted to homeschool before she was born. I had been reading books about, it, and it took me several years to convince my husband that it was a great idea for our family. But I have to tell you, I and one day, and years before that, I was temping at Goldman Sachs in New York City, and I heard two women in business suits chatting on the elevator one day, and one of them said, "Today was the first day of kindergarten. Oh my goodness!" And the friend said, "How was it?" She goes. Floods of tears. And the friend sympathized and she said, Oh, she was fine. I was a mess.
2: (laughs) That's how I felt. Absolutely. (laughs) For me, it was maybe a a slightly more negative event that that happened. I remember we were trying to get out the door, and I've noticed, I'm sure other moms noticed, when you're under the gun with time, your patience level goes down. We have to get out of (laughs) here. remember this one morning <laughs> that I was trying to get out the door, we got to get out the door, and I have all these little people who can't do much on their own, and I ended up saying, "I'm just like, go, in just this huge, loud voice, you know what, that made them do? it made them stop. <laughs> freeze and they kind of ran into each other like in slapstick style and they like <laughs> tried to scurry out the door and I thought this is not working like I'm not even being the mom I want to be No, you know and I know moms can't handle it I'm not saying you know that if you have to go out the door every morning you're always like that but I was not being the mom I wanted to be
0: and that's the key right there that word holy the, that expression holy leisure but also just you wanting something different.
2: So when you are getting ready to jump into this, what do you do? That's the question, right? Yeah. All these different, um, you know, styles of homeschooling. You can do many different curricula. And I I liken it to planning a wedding, right? You spend a lot of time deciding what party favors you're going to give out. Yeah. You can read a whole magazine or blog post on it. Or you can um, step back and think, okay, what's important? What are my non-negotiables, right? This is what is non-negotiable for me in my wedding. Um, And so that's what I would do with homeschooling. I would think per year. So we're not talking (laughs) non-negotiables 10 years from now. Per year, per child. What is my non-negotiable for this child this year? What's my main goal? And that actually might be growing in patience. (laughs) Mm. It might be math or reading. Um, Someone who's just entering middle school might be, I want him to help. Learn, teach him to think critically. That's my goal this year because we better get going on that. So, that's what I would advise someone who's just starting out. A, honestly, I would limit <laughs> the number of things I read in terms of if it's not your non if it is uh, an extra, because that is going to overwhelm you. Your non negotiable is, and if you want to read different perspectives on that, great. But if you try to tackle the whole thing at once, I think, at least I would get overwhelmed by that. So that's number one is decide what your non-negotiable is this year for this child.
0: That's a great one. I love that. I feel like that's a good thing to ask yourself almost every morning. I'm surely at the beginning of the school year as a guiding light, as a North Star to steer towards and to return to when you start to get overwhelmed, That it's great to establish that for yourself. Maybe post it on the wall or somewhere that you return to uh, periodically. Well, that's my next tip is to post it on the wall. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, you're right. I'm here. I am looking at your list, and I'm jumping ahead. No, it's, that's because I'm absorbing your wisdom, and it's coming out of my mouth. <laughs> that's the
2: point. You will lo- You can easily lose what side of the forest for the trees, right? And so you you might start off that first week knowing what your non-negotiables are, and by November have totally drifted off course. So my second course was my um, your school's mission statement or even your non-negotiables and post it somewhere. Because what's going to happen is you're going to get a lot of ideas coming your way. And a lot of it sounds really good. Like I had a friend who was studying ancient Egypt, and she made a pyramid with her twin boys out of sugar cubes. And I was like, that is gorgeous. But uh, if you get hit with someone making origami and someone else making snow globes and someone else making Egyptian pyramids, you start to just think, I'm not doing anything. I don't do any of that. Therefore, I'm a bad homeschooler. And just holds okay Egyptian sugar cube pyramids is that is that going to support my non-negotiable if it is I want to include it if it doesn't maybe I want to include it for fun but I don't feel so guilty do you know what I mean isn't that the enemy that this guilt that I'm not measuring up but if you know what I don't need my non-negotiable will still be okay without snow globes but if we find, I'm not saying don't do it but it does it's kind of like your north star right you need
0: to go. Yeah, no, that's really important too because in this age of social media, comparisons are just deadly. Uh, We we don't see the whole picture. All we see are the things that feel like they're accusing us. And we know the devil's title is the accuser, right? And so he creeps in there in subtle ways that, oh, look, there's something good. But when it starts to turn in on us and starts to confuse us about our mission, it's just not useful.
2: Or, and he, he seeks to destroy, right? So he i yes. everything he can to destroy us. And our confidence, our peace, you know, he's in peace. So you know, be careful. I mean, I actually don't spend a lot of time looking at Pinterest because what I do, I notice how I feel. I feel under the pile. So I will go for very specific. I And this is true. I need an alligator cake for my son's birthday. <laughs> so I will, <laughs> but I won't just spend time on it. Do you know what I mean? But that's because I found it it can destroy my peace, you know. Seeing what all these other homeschoolers are doing. It uh, actually is know who you are. There comes a point where you just have to know I'm crafty. I'm musical. I love history. I love to be outside. Great. Guess what? God made you this parent for this child for a reason. It's like He matched you up. That's good. Know who you are. And if you, uh, if you love science, and you love to be outside, you can do a lot of school outside. You can do nature walks outside. You can do math outside if you want to. Look, just look around you. Look at rocks. Look at trees. And, of course, you can learn. You can do art outside in a sketchbook. So I'm just saying take who you are, what you love, and build on that and teach your kids that way because it will be more comfortable in the end.
0: I feel like that connects to everything that we are as Catholics, too, that that is our treasure, who we are in Christ and our identity in Christ. And that's such a thing that is assaulted in our culture, this idea of identity. But when we are centered on who God made us to be, our authentic giftedness and calling as human beings, don't we call that out in our children, too? Don't we give them permission
2: to be who they are? Right. Absolutely. God made you who you are to bless your children, So you don't have to be anyone else. Use it. It's great. I am not a crafty person. My kids will not make snow globes. But (laughs) I'm really good at silly songs. I make up a lot of (laughs) terrible songs, but they love it. And you you can learn history with a silly song. You can learn Spanish with a silly song. I'm thinking you need to start recording your
0: silly songs. I think that there's a little side mompreneur opportunity (laughs) here. I want to hear those songs.
2: (laughs) And the other thing I would say that I've also been thinking about. You said like our treasure is who we are. And I also want to remind people because I want to remind myself that my poverty is my treasure, right? Jesus came for the poor. So I thought one day I felt like a failure and I went to pray about it and um, I thought there were a couple other things I learned. You can go to my blog, but one thing that came to me was like your poverty is your treasure. Like Jesus loves the weak. He loves the ones with the younger brother, <laughs> right? That's who he he has a real heart for the poor. So if you feel poor in housekeeping, as I do, if you feel poor though, in time, if you feel poor in crafty things, it's okay. Jesus has a real heart for you. Your poverty is your treasure. Not kind of you know, we like to think what I do well is my treasure. but when it, that turns everything upside down, doesn't he? He certainly does because that's
0: where he shows up and and fills in the gaps. I mean, he does so much more than we realize, even all the good that we do, ostensibly ourselves is is coming through him through his heart. Um, so that awareness of our poverty, I really feel like, is liberating and empowering because that's where we can really be more aware of our our dependence on God
2: absolutely, absolutely. Well, and the the flip side of knowing who you are is my next tip, which is know who your child is. Now, I have a few. I've got five, and um, I'm learning still, but some of them learn better with silly songs (laughs) or movement in their learning. Some are very textbook. They can sit with a textbook and just do their worksheets, and they're so happy. So you can kind of balance who you are with who your child is. If you've got a kinetic learner, you can do math with, if you did not, did not know this, dry erase markers on a window come off. So as long as your kid is old enough to know, don't use your dry erase marker anywhere else. That's a great kinetic way to learn math, for example. Right? Or you know have races outside or give them more recess breaks. Just things you can do to teach your child in a way that is, um, more natural, then I wouldn't say we can't challenge them ever. You know, I can have that same kid and kind of just challenge him to do one whole worksheet or something. But, you know, on the whole, like let's stretch them a little, but on the whole, we can also adjust to who they are, right?
0: Absolutely. I remember when I was teaching catechism at the parish, I had a kid in my class who I had seen at parish kind of um, grade level gathering, gatherings the year before, and I could see that he was. Uh, ants in the pants kind of a kid, constantly being disruptive, and I said, Lord, please don't let me ever get that kid in my class, and of course, God gave him to me the following year, and I remember doing some, like, reading up and stuff and trying to, to, to gird myself for the battle to come. And one day he was really shifting around and being disruptive and I came over to him and I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, you know what? I think you're a kinesthetic learner. I think you need to move in order to learn. So instead of you know wrapping your pencil on the tabletop, how about just like moving your knees back and forth or twiddling your thumbs or finding some other way that's not distracting to me while I'm teaching and that way you'll be able to focus. And, I, and as soon as I said, you're a kinesthetic learner, I watched him go boing. Like he had a new label for himself that wasn't bad kid, a kinesthetic learner. You know, like I could see it. I saw his wheels turning and I thought, yeah, when we affirm a child in who they are made to be, we liberate them from false labels.
2: Absolutely. That was such a grace. Of course, God put him in your class. He needed to know that about himself, right? (laughs) It was a grace. (laughs) Well, another thing when you homeschool people are going to do is ask you, well, what kind of homeschooling do you do? Are you Charlotte Mason? Are you, you know, classical? Are you this? And I remember hearing that and thinking, I have no idea what we are talking about. (laughs) I have no idea. But I was trying to figure out which curricula to use. And a friend of mine who has um, homeschooled her four children said, you know what, maybe just figure out kind of what's important to you about schooling before you start worrying exactly which textbook you want to use, or curricula, or no curricula for that matter, as some people do. That was very helpful to me because I didn't honestly realize that, for example, Charlotte Mason, and I'm not an expert in any of these, but I do know she esteemed outside time, like three hours of outside time every day. And um, just by reading different philosophies, it helped fine-tune what I think is important about education. I wouldn't say I belong to any of them. You know, I do esteem outside time, and we don't get a whole three hours a day, but we do do quite a bit. Classical education does a lot of memorization, and poetry, you know, reading and memorization. I love that. Like, that's beautiful. So, we incorporate some of that, and um, maybe arm yourself with knowledge, but don't feel restricted by categories. Does that make sense? What did you do? Did you have a particular method that you used when you homeschooled?
0: Oh, to be honest with you, um, I started off with a box of books and a day-by-day curriculum guide, which a quarter of the way into the year, we completely put aside and started over, because that particular curriculum did not suit my daughter's temperament. You know, I had my baby very late in life. She was my late-life miracle. I was almost 40 when she was born, and so here I was with my only child at the table trying to recreate school. It just didn't fit. She was miserable, and I was miserable, and I was in tears at the end of the day feeling like i was just torturing her and so we started to just visit with other moms and pick things up so i went from one thing to another for a little while and by the second year i was kind of drawing from various resources and in a way and just finding the things that really worked well for her and we did like you we did memorizing poetry and she did a lot of writing and and reading great books to in order to enjoy history and things like that more and so we found our way into it but to be honest with you I mean, I learned so much from other moms and they really were guiding stars for me. But I wish I could go backward to what you're describing. I never had a homeschool philosophy. I never contemplated or researched what that meant to me. Even though I'd read books on homeschooling, I never did settle into a place where I had a philosophy or a sense of what is it I'm trying to accomplish. I didn't understand the different phases of learning and all of that. It was so like we pulled her out after the fourth grade. It was like damage control. I mean, the public school inflicted all of its harm, you know, and public schools can be great for some kids. It was not good for mine. And so ours was a lot of kind of patch up, repair, and get out into the homeschool community and have more fun. Um, So Was it successful in many ways? Yes, thanks be to God with God's help and the help of many other moms. But I really wish I could go back in time and have a clear philosophy going in. I think we would have done much better.
2: Well, I will say I don't feel like I have a clear maybe educational philosophy. I do have clear goals in terms of I want them to learn to think well and write well. And I want them to be able to understand their faith and love their faith. So, uh, you know, I don't know if that, that actually fits into any of these particular philosophies, but it does help me take elements of every philosophy and say, is this kind of like being out and outside? That helps their faith. They get to see the ordered world God gave us. They, I mean, they can experience dirt on their hands. So I guess I'm certainly not as knowledgeable as many people, but it has helped me think through some of these issues that you're talking about, right? Yeah, the choices you make. What are you trying to accomplish? you can easily do too much, you know, overschedule everything. <laughs> that's, a t- that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a real temptation to just, I better do it all. Otherwise I'll fail. Right. That's why having your, your um, set goals, your non-negotiables really helps you because you're going to have to say, no, there are things that you could do. I mean, right now I can think of a theater camp my son could do, as well as a homeschool book club, as well as a um, science camp he can do, as well as not to mention co ops, which we haven't even talked about yet. So let's talk about co ops next. My philosophy of co ops is that you can't go wrong. There you go. How's that for freedom? I love it. <laughs> I mean, okay, I guess you could if it were like, I don't know, anti Catholic or something. <laughs> You know, on the whole, you've got a good a co-op that's, you know, of the faith. Boy, well, you know what, do it or don't do it. It's fine. A lot of people will say to me, oh, are they going to be socialized? Like, So no. let me give you, A, we're a family of five kids. So, yeah, they're so. Oh, socialized. Hello. <laughs> also socialized across age groups where a lot of kids um, are socialized only in their grade level. Uh, they do go to say church. <laughs> we do have friends, we've got play dates, we do sports, they're socialized. So if your only reason for co-op is thinking, oh, my kids are gonna be weird and not able to relate to other people, I would say that's very unlikely. Unless in a whole. I, I can't imagine how your kids wouldn't naturally know how to relate to people. Um on that and sometimes co-op give you, co-ops give you opportunities you can't do at home, like pottery, or I can't do at home, or they do those subjects you don't want to do at home, like chemistry, for example. So they can be very beneficial. Up till now, I've always had nappers, and I'm kind of a structured person when it comes to naps, and so I just have not done them. But maybe, you know, maybe in a couple of years, I'll look into that. But I haven't felt a lack personally, did you do any co-ops when oh, you? Oh, were- sure. i I've
0: taught in them. I've dropped off to them. yeah, i I love cooperative situations because you've got moms typically who have stepped out of careers, many of whom have specialized training and some dads that are around. Um and they then can offer your you know, pre-standardized test math training or your biology or your art or your drama or whatever it is. And it does give them a chance to be out experiencing not only the expertise of an adult who's passionate about this topic or the subject area, but also an opportunity to experience, you know, just being together as a homeschool community with other people who have similar values. Every family culture is distinctive. There are a lot of different viewpoints within the church, but they're not alone. It's not just our family that's persevering in the faith, especially as they get older and they have phones and laptops and things like that, and the culture finds its way in. And and we really have to be aware of that that they know they're not alone, that they're not the only ones who think and feel that way. So I think that any opportunity to have them um, just with other Catholic families that are persevering and making sacrifices to give their kids the best possible start in life is a positive thing. And, and it's not, and it's, uh, to me, it's secondary that they also can get great training from passionate teachers.
2: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we do do a lot of getting together with other Catholic families for just the reason you're saying. My kids don't, have phones yet and at least they know someone who doesn't have a phone because truly everyone else they know does yes so that is so important and um, um but i would i would not want moms or dads for the matter to think um that they must outsource it you know what i'm saying you've got an opportunity and that's what you want to do that's what i'm saying i don't think there's a you know you can't go, you can't go wrong then do it that's great but if you don't have that you're, you're gonna be fine. You're, you're. it's going to be okay if they don't get pottery or whatever, you know, that they, but if you've got an opportunity, wonderful, and that
0: fits your family life, go for it. Exactly. There's such thing as saying yes to too many opportunities. And by the way, while I'm saying a co- the co-op gives you that opportunity for community, so do May crownings and days in the park with friends and all of that. So I'm not saying the co-op is the only place you can find that. That's just one of its principal benefits, I think.
2: It is. It is. Absolutely. One thing I would also, you know, you're a new homeschooler. I would suggest what I have found to be beneficial: is structuring my day at least somewhat. I am not saying from seven thirty to eight a.m. we will do this at eight to eight thirty. But here's the thing with little kids: they like to know what's coming next, and you are gonna, <laughs> you're gonna be driven nuts. If every day, what do we do next? So, and they also have high expectations. <laughs> you know, <laughs> of course, we're gonna paint, and then we're gonna craft, and then we're gonna go on a walk. You know, so if you can at least structure like breakfast, read aloud, whatever. Let's say math, recess. Just a general idea. It's gonna help you, and you will not lose your mind, in my opinion, as quickly as you might if you're like, I don't know, kids. And if you've got to get up and reinvent that wheel every day, you're gonna be tired. You're. Gonna be they're always going to want the fun stuff, anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and when they know what to expect, I find that the the younger children, especially, really can focus better. They love routines. They re- like you said, they love to know what's next. Do love. They love cool. routines.
2: In my experience, they really do. You know, Friday sometimes we make Friday our fun day, so then they know Friday might be different. What are we going to do? You know, we had some fine arts Friday. Some school years I've done that, and that's been nice. We kind of do the math and the oh, not the math. I'm sorry, the art and the music and poetry might be on Fridays or Friday tea. I know someone who does a Friday poetry tea. Lovely. It's not structured, right? <laughs> they know expected on Friday, so that's really helpful. When you think about how to structure your day, schedule your non-negotiables first. I learned this after many years of not doing so. So what we like to do is do the fun, easy stuff first. And then what happens is the day is beautiful and it would sure be a pity to waste a day like that or someone, wonderful friend stops by for a while or you've got a dentist appointment or any other number of things and we've done then all the fun stuff but maybe the writing that I I said we were really gonna work on this year, maybe that's the thing you never got to. After day after day, so what I have learned to do is that stuff for me—that's religion, writing, and math and reading. That's it. Those go early in the day. We get those done, and then you know what the day—if we spend three hours outside, eh, it's okay. So that, or if you prefer to do your non-negotiables early in the week, and then as the week progresses, maybe add in surface projects and gardening, unless those are your non-negotiable. <laughs> Whatever else you might want to add in later in the week. So I it, love that. It's a way to structure your day. I know that because I've made that mistake so many times. But now we do it that way. Mm, very Maybe. intentional, focused. That's a good way to put it. And I'm sure every mom or parent has this where when I get a certain number of boxes checked, three things done, I feel like, oh, that was a good school day. We did it. <laughs> so I can get that done. i doing geography, great. But if not, it's okay. Maybe fourth grade will work on that.
0: Yeah, just deciding what your non-negotiables are is greatly stress-reducing. Because like you said, we had a good day already now. Yes. Anything yeah. on top of that is the icing on the cake. I can relax a little bit.
2: Yeah, exactly. We can we can enjoy being together as a family, which is so important too. You know, maybe That might be our non-negotiable as we're doing this. You mentioned this one earlier. You said you tried to recreate a traditional school environment at home. Don't we all do that at first?
0: <laughs> I think so, because that's what we know. That's what education yeah. is to us at first. It
2: is. And uh, it just, I think, puts you in a box you don't need to be put into. I'm, if that If that works for you and your family, that's fine. I'm just saying it doesn't need to be that way. Guess what? You don't even have to learn every subject every day. You could spend a whole week on science. Your freedom is amazing here. You can spend a month on service projects. You know, you can do um, religion, go to mass every day. I mean, you just can order it how you want. And that's why you have those non-negotiables because it can shape your day. But you can, even, you can do school outside with sidewalk chalk or, like I said, on a nature walk. I sometimes do school um, when I hand out snack. <laughs> Oops, and I will just throw a question, a review question out there for someone, you know, Jack, name me three different mammals, or so-and-so, um, I might give a math problem to, or a review of a Latin vocab word, and it's fun, and I've just reviewed, and they're getting fed, and we're all happy.
0: Nice. It's nice to know your own children, as you said previously, and not to have to create a traditional school environment as if we're squeezing our round pegs into square holes. Um Just the last couple of points, uh, Amanda, wrap us up.
2: Well, I would say um, two things, probably the most important to me. One is structure some quiet time into every day. And that's that's who I am. And I think most humans need to learn how to be alone, especially in a family with a lot of children. It can be easy to always be entertaining, talking. And I think it's important to learn how to be quiet. With your own thoughts. And then the final thing that has been a huge blessing to our family is reading aloud together. It is, it takes you a it's so economical. <sighs> Get that to the library, but it takes you on an adventure as a family. You meet characters as a family. We have inside jokes. We refer to these people, these like Caddy Woodlawn. We laugh about it together. And it has just united us in a way that nothing else has. So if you can or I would even make that my non-negotiable. Just read aloud. Even those older kids, it's amazing. They will come. They will come around if you read aloud. So there, there's. I think there are many ways you can do this right, and not really that many ways you can do it wrong. If you do it with love and consideration, really. So enjoy yourself. Um, don't take yourself too seriously. Pray. <laughs> That covers it all. We're
0: good. Yeah, exactly. It's that It's that wonderful, alive feeling of, uh, I need to know kind of where I'm going. Like we're going to heaven. So we're educating, as you said, our children. There's a sense of, you know, we, we have to know where we're going, what we want, what's most important, whether it's family time or math and reading or a combination of those things. And just knowing them helps us to live into them and to be an example to our children. Um and I know that it, when you wrote this beautiful article, which we're going to link to on our show page, so everyone can have these points written down in front of them, print it out, save it. One of the last things you said was just
2: relax. I love that. <laughs> Again, it could be just like wedding planning, right? But you know, the important thing is a marriage, right? That's what we need to focus on. And here, honestly, you just spend day-to-day life with your kids, forming their consciences, Bring them up in the face, you're going to get a lot more done just through that than you
0: realize. Mm. Amen. So much by God's grace that happens uh, supernaturally and naturally in our homes. Amanda Woodiel can be found at her blog, inaplaceofgrace.com. And uh, just a beautiful blog with lots of great musings on different topics. Please do check her out, inaplaceofgrace.com. We'll have that in the show notes as well. Uh, Thanks again, Amanda. And uh, everybody, stay tuned for our short feature coming right up.
1: Hi, I'm Dan Lozonis from EinsteinBlueprint.com. Today I want to talk about what I call a negative view of money and why it's super important that our kids don't grow up with such a crippling mindset. A negative view of money starts with scarcity, it starts with the belief that there's only a limited amount of money available to us, that income is very hard to come by, and that whatever is earned must be fanatically clung to, it must be saved and hoarded. I was definitely raised on this very philosophy. My family clipped coupons, they had us kids hang all the laundry on the clothesline to dry even when it was below freezing outside, and when my mother did occasionally turn the heat on, she put it all the way up to 60 degrees. A negative view of money is also marked by the misconception, the lie, that money is fundamentally evil. Now I didn't grow up learning this particular aspect, probably because there was so little wealth in our lives to vilify, but in my work consulting families across America and around the world it comes up over and over again, among both the religious right and the secular left. So many parents are uncomfortable around and even hostile to all things financial. They staunchly believe that corporations are evil, that rich people are thieves or unethical, and that selling is a manipulative tactic that they don't want their kids to have anything to do with. Now look, just as we inherited our views of money from our parents, we're going to instantly pass our biases and values down to our kids too. Years after I graduated college and moved to Philadelphia, I found myself hanging my laundry to dry throughout my apartment all along the staircase and on the furniture because I had been conditioned to believe that I'd bankrupt myself if I used a dryer. Thanks, mom. Here's why this is bad. First of all, just like us, our kids are going to need nothing less than a ton of money throughout their lives. They're gonna have hungry mouths to feed and never ending stream of bills to pay. But with a distorted negative view of money, our kids will actually push out the very thing they need. This is how our subconscious brains work. And as they repel it, the financial stresses in their lives will only multiply and compound. This is precisely how vicious circles get set in motion. In addition to the constant stress of making ends meet, without money they will also end up leading limited lives. No parent ever wants to have to tell their kids, no, we don't have the money for piano lessons, no, you can't learn to ski, or no, you can't go on that life-changing European trip because it's too expensive. If you worried that you were implicitly teaching your children a negative value of money, Here's what I recommend, first I want you to confess and closely examine your entire belief system of money. Do you see it as scarce or abundant? Do you see it as evil? Identify what early experiences shaped your views. Then I want you to start to deprogram and reprogram yourself. As dedicated homeschooling parents, often a lot of the actual work, a lot of the heavy lifting we do takes place inside our own heads, motivating ourselves and whatnot. For sure there are tangible resources that can help you. Just Google why money is good and a ton of stuff will come up. Get your whole family to read the famous book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, What the Rich Teach Their Kids About Money That the Poor and Middle Class Do Not. If you want to learn more about how to cultivate a positive, healthy relationship with money and how to get your kids started with entrepreneurship, then visit my 14-year-old homeschool son's website, kidsgetrich.com.